0: And we are recording. Recording in progress. Mr. Michael Vecchione on Tuesday, April 18th, 2023, at 3 or 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Guys, if you want to support the show, click on the little red button. That's Logos. Get exclusive stuff. Promo code Tommy or go to the description. Buy the merch. Support the podcast. Fucking awesome book, dude. Fallen Angel. Fucking two thumbs up. Better than Luigi the Zip fucking fantastic really I've, I've, wow. I, I, I and not that i don't like luigi it just actually like actually like 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 riveted like I, I i i knew what was coming because you and i had talked about it before i mean even going back a year but the delivery was still fantastic
1: no oh, thank you thank so. you thank you and you had given me very very high marks on homicide is my business though I, I,
0: I did this is this is better not that i don't like luigi shout out luigi but this is fantastic. For everyone that doesn't know is, um, we've covered the cases before in this book, but this is about the idea of, of, an evil force behind them, and it is, you know, it's a mixture of of you know top secret government black ops work, with with a little bit of not Da Vinci Code, but a, a holy, good versus evil fight, and. The very thing. Honestly, there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between like like fifth generation warfare, like sowing chaos in a society. Of go for these specific things, race baiting, you know, a flourishing scene, um, you know, truly destroy innocence, right? Like the you know, like the she's the best woman. There is a lot of validity to that, and it's whether you attribute it to the devil or a foreign power. I mean, both are foreign powers. I think you brilliantly tied it together, but I'll, I'll, sh- I'll shut up and let you comment on it.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate it. And um, listen, I, I guess I should start by, first of all, the book is called Fallen Angel, and, um, and I call it a true crime fantasy because the, um, the crimes that are depicted in the book and discussed in the book and are have the centerpiece of each of the parts of the book are real, um, are, are, are real events. They were crimes that happened in Brooklyn ha- and crimes that I handled. Um, either as investigations and trials, or just simply investigations, and then resulting in you know messes, uh, some uh, guilty pleas. But the the way that I tied them together was um, was was because very quite frankly um, the, the suggestion of a um, of a, of several book agents um, when I had finished hom- uh, Homicide is My Business, the Luigi book, I was stuck at that point. I didn't know what to write and where to go. And, um, you know, my, my writing partner, Jerry Schmetter, had passed away and, um, you know, we had talked about doing something, um, beyond homicide is my business. And then obviously that became, um, became moot because of his, his illness and death. And, um, and I, and I had, and if I, you know, you can't see it, but if I look off to my, to my left here, there are several boxes filled with, um, files and my old summations and and they all represent it. They all uh, dealt with the cases that you read about in Fallen Angel and will read about in book two, which Mm -hmm. is um, now finished. I'm I'm actually going to turn it in probably in the next day or two. So um, but I I, so I called a couple of book agents and said, look, here was my idea. My idea was to basically do a book of short stories, true crime short stories. And um, and they said, Mike, nobody who reads true crime likes to do it short story wise. They want to do a full, Mm -hmm. you know, a full novel. uh, I'm sorry, not novel, a full book. Yeah. And, um, you know, so they said, find a way to tie all of them together. And um, and if you can do that, well, you know, then you've got something. So I have this idea and I'll tell your your listeners and, and viewers what the idea, how the idea came about years ago I prosecuted investigated and prosecuted a former FBI agent um, for uh, his ties to the mob to the mob and to him in getting involved in tipping off a, a very notorious and vicious mobster to informants that were giving information about him and and he the he meaning the mobster would then <laughs> would then kill them And in the other side of the coin was that the uh, mobster unbeknownst to his fellow, um, his fellow mafia members was giving information about them to the FBI. So it was a kind of a tit for tat kind of thing. And, um, and, and, um, I tried this guy because information came forward and, uh, we indicted him for four of these murders and in the middle of the trial, literally in the middle of the trial, A a newspaper, um, the Village Voice, which doesn't exist anymore, um, came out with a story that said that one of the witnesses, in fact, the main witness that I had, the wife of the mobster, had years before, 10 years before, basically stuck up for the mobster and said, you know, the allegations against him are untrue and talked about how he was not the guy that that, that people were saying he was, etc. And that destroyed the case. Because um, at that point, my boss heard about it, read about it, and said, we can't go forward any longer. We have to just pull the case and dismiss it. Now, Tom, I took a lot of shit for, for indicting a, an FBI agent. And, and even though uh, I was certain and that he had done the things that I indicted him for, the grand jury was certain, the witnesses I had were certain, um, we had to dismiss the case because of this this, this one um uh, witness who basically started us off on this indictment uh, path. So, um, you know, the, the, crap that I took was something that I didn't expect. And, um, and, and, and it didn't necessarily end with the end of the case because he wrote a book criticizing me. He went on 60 minutes and was interviewed, um, was interviewed, but, and, and did something which I was surprised that he did. He basically said and admitted to having this relationship with this mobster. And I, I was on. Uns- uh, so I, I kind of was vindicated somewhat. But the this, this stuff that you know, the crap that we took that I took was was just difficult to deal with at that point. You know, I, I was I had done everything right. And, um, and I was being criticized as if I had done something wrong. And um, I sat down, we Jerry Smeder and I used to go to lunch every day, we would, we would talk and And we had this idea to write Crooked Brooklyn when we Mm -hmm. decided to leave the DA's office, which is what we did. Um, And and then after we wrote Crooked Brooklyn, we had this idea. Oh, actually, I shouldn't say that before we wrote Crooked Brooklyn. But as part of what we were planning to do after we left the office, we had this idea of kind of turning around, turning this whole situation around. And the idea was that the prosecutor in our story would have. Become, would become the pariah in the law enforcement community, not because he just simply indicted the FBI agent, but he won, yeah. that he beat him, and had, the FBI agent now went to jail, and that made the prosecutor, you know, a, uh, a black sheep, and mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. And we came up with this idea of what would the, what would he do with his life now as a prosecutor, as a lawyer. And this whole idea of a secret government agency approaching him because the devil had come to Brooklyn and they knew that this was a prosecutor who had the guts and the balls to to take on very difficult cases. And they approached them and he became the, um, you know, kind of the, the good in the good versus evil part of the story. And we did a we did a proposal for TV uh, and we and we wrote it all out. Not this book, but. You know the the idea and um it didn't go anywhere you know as often happens with Mm -hmm. uh, with television you got to hit it at the right time and it, it didn't go anywhere so after all of these years and after these book agents telling me i needed to tie things together i looked over at my my pile of boxes here and um i said man you know what i've got fallen angel in there that was the name that we had taken two reasons. One, the prosecutor was now a pariah. Uh So he was a fallen angel. And obviously, Satan is known as the fallen angel. So it was perfect, we thought. And I pulled it out, and I started to read it. And I said, you know, this could work. Now, the first couple of book agents I went to who said, I don't know, it's a little far fetched. I don't know if I can sell it. I had done some work with a publisher out here on Long Island, not far from where I live. And, um, She had had me on TV with her, her TV shows for Homicide is My Business, later for Crooked Brooklyn, for Friends of the Family, and I called her, and I said, her name was Stephanie Larkin, and I said, Stephanie, I got this idea. Can I tell you about it? She said, come meet. So I went out and met her, and I told her the story, and she said, well, I like this. I think this, let me, let me, let me talk to. You got a proposal and I I did I had a proposal I had done the whole thing. And she said send it to me and I'm going to run it past my editors. Well a few days later I got a call back and she says to me not only do I love it, but my editors love it. So we're going to do it. I said she said I'm going to send you a, a contract and Mike I have to tell you do not end this story after book one because my contract is for book two and three. It's the kind of thing that should be a series. And um, I had almost the entire book one written by that point, Tom. And um, so I did it. And um, and and I called it I had this whole thing in my head from when I first thought about this, about calling it a true crime fantasy, because it allowed me to take my stories and to expand them or mold them in a way that would fit within the narrative or in the overarching narrative of this this concept, which was good versus evil, the devil versus the good that's in Brooklyn. And I took Brooklyn, obviously, because I know it and I worked there and the cases were in Brooklyn. But Brooklyn has become a lot different than when I grew up. It's, it's you know, there's a lot of new uh, uh, residents have come in, the neighborhoods that were really bad at one point have now been gentrified, and, and Brooklyn has become a place, a, a destination place for young, particularly young millennials and, and a little older to to live here. And and life here is, is life there is very good. So I figured what better what better place for the devil to come, and it was perfect because obviously all my cases were Brooklyn cases, and try to destroy. This, this
0: this beautiful kind of, like, kind of, of thing,
1: yeah, yeah, right, right, perversion and, of innocence, um, correct. And and then I started thinking, started writing, and I came up with the concept, which was not in our story about where do I begin, and and I started, I got this idea about the Vatican's office of exorcisms, and that a particular priest who was in the office, who was now stationed in New York, was a guy who you know kind of studied. Um, history and studied, uh, you know, what was going on in in the world, and he came up. This he, he realized that there was a lot of upheaval in Brooklyn, a lot, lot of horrible cases happening, and um, and he and he went further and he expanded it to the United States and found them there too. And then he went further and he found that there were lots of these horrific cases in other parts of the world. And what made them attractive to him was that. Following these the the cases and the and not charge, shouldn't say that the crimes, there was an increase in exorcisms of the people who had been arrested and charged with these crimes. That was my concept. And his his final his his opinion and uh, his conclusion was, was that it was Satan that was behind all of this upheaval in these various parts of the world. And why was he being successful? Because no one recognized it. And he was allowed, or it was allowed, depending upon what you want to call him, I call him he, but he was allowed to kind of instigate, create these problems and create these crimes and get people to commit the crimes with his, his, his backing and, and, um, and then when it was there was an arrest, how Satan would win, is by making sure that the person arrested was not punished or convicted. And he would undermine the trial. He would have evidence disappear. He would have the prosecutor, something happened to the prosecutor. He would have witnesses killed and that kind of thing. And, and he, was being, he was successful. So when he came to Brooklyn and, and this was happening, this priest recognized that he had to bring this to someone's attention. And this is the beginning of, of Fallen Angel, the book, the way I set it up. And he goes first to the Vatican's office of exorcisms in Vatican City and and brings his theory to them. And um, and and the cardinal in charge says, you know, you have something here. And um, he goes to the pope. The pope also agrees. And they say, you got to take this to the United States and a high level meeting between the Vatican and the ultimately the attorney general here in the United States is held. And this priest sells this idea on and and convinces the attorney general that there's something here. And he goes to the president and the president agrees. So now we've got all of the big shots agreeing. They now have to come up with a plan. And the plan was to create this super secret organization that would act, um, would support a prosecutor in local jurisdictions throughout the United States where they believe the devil was operating. And because I can't talk about Des Moines, Iowa. I have to talk about Brooklyn. Brooklyn was the place where it was happening. It was ground zero at that particular time of my story. So um, they need now needed somebody who knew Brooklyn to choose the prosecutor. And they came up with someone who had been an exorcist and had left the office and was now in New York. and he um, and grew up, raised and grew up, born and raised and grew up in Brooklyn. And he had someone in mind. They went to him and said, pick somebody because, you know, the borough. And he had someone in mind. And it was his lifelong friend, a prosecutor named Michael Gioka, who had just finished convicting an FBI agent and was on the outs with law enforcement. So what they did was they they watched him. He didn't know anything about this. He was on kind of on the balls of his ass in terms of his 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 um, career. Mm -hmm. He needed something that was going to bring him back into the good graces of law enforcement community. And this horrific murder occurs in Brooklyn, believe it or not, according to him and in real life, too, happens on the block where Michael Gioka was born, played stickball, et cetera, with kids and this case actually happened and when it happened in brooklyn i saw the address where it occurred and i said to the my boss i was not in charge of homicide at that time and i was not doing homicide cases i was in charge of all of the trials in the office but the murder cases in the brooklyn da's office were handled by another bureau and i went to my boss and said you know what if there's an arrest in this case i want it i want the case because i grew up there that's that's my old neighborhood and it just hit home
0: mm-hmm.
1: And it was, and 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 that was how I saw so this case. Now comes to the attention of the prosecutor in my book, Michael Giocca, and he does the same thing as I did, which is to go to the DA and say, "I want this case." The DA is somewhat in the book is we're reluctant to give it to him because Michael has made you know has made his life his his life difficult,
0: blacklisted feds, himself.
1: Yeah, you know he he convicted this Fed. <laughs> That the federal government and and the the, the the DA are you know have this agreement or in this arrangement where the DA is going to get money and you know on a regular basis and he feels that convicting this heavyweight Fed was going to to hurt him politically as well as economically in terms of the office. So, but he reluctantly gives it to Michael. And he says it's okay. You you can have it. I think he thinks that this is going to be the last nail in the coffin because the case was very weak. It was a very weak case. There were no witnesses, none. And in the real, in real life, there were none. So I'll tell you the story, the real life story. And you may remember this from Crooked Brooklyn. It was the Amy Watkins case. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and basically the story is that this woman from this young woman from St. Louis, Missouri came to New York, was accepted into Columbia University School of Social Work to become, a, she wanted her master's in social work. And while she was living in Brooklyn, which is where she could find an apartment that was cheap enough for her to, to, to afford, she was working in the Bronx uh, in a homeless, in, a, in a, actually a battered woman's shelter. And she felt that working there was great um, experience for what she would be doing as a social worker the problem was, was that it was at about an hour subway ride away from her home. So every night when she left the Bronx, she had to get on the subway in not a very good time here in New York in real life, it was the crime rate was up, the murder rate was up and she drove she got on the subway came to Brooklyn every night. This one particular night, she went into a um, a delicatessen, a deli, a grocery store to buy some food and some milk and things of that nature that she needed and um and there was someone in there who saw her and saw that she had some money and and he was a junkie and he um he followed her out of the store and he had two accomplices with him outside the store and they watched as she walked down to her apartment now it's march it's about 10 11 o'clock at night when it's really happened when this happened it was very very dark there were street lights on the on the street were not not necessarily working and she had to get from i don't know let's say 50 to 100 yards from where she bought the stuff maybe 200 yards to her apartment right well he was able to get to her and his two accomplices surrounded her the main guy attempts to steal her purse And she puts up a fight. The other guys start tussling with her. The main guy is now can't get the can't get the purse away from her. And he takes out this very large, large butcher knife and he sticks it in her back. It was driven in so hard, Tom, that it came out the front of her body under her left breast. And she they grab the purse and they take off. There is there are no there's nobody when she was screaming, that's when people looked out the window, but it was so dark that nobody could give us a, um, a no one could give us a description other than it was three men. So in uh, and that's the same story in, in the Gioca case in the book, except that when the Gio when Michael Gioca, the character in the book, gets the case and learns about the visit to the deli. He goes to the Delhi and he's expecting to find a um, uh, The Delhi counterman is described to him by uh, one of the it was at this point in the book. He one of the people is caught and he's confessed. Um, and it's described to him as a, a white guy, tall, longish hair, some other description. And um, and his name is. Um, Tony, I think, is the name of the book. I think that was the name I used. So um, my guy in the book, Michael, goes and he wants to talk to Tony and find out what, you know, what he knows. And he goes to the deli and he walks in and he looks at the counterman and it's an Asian man. Yeah. And he says, he says to him, talks to him and he says, you know, who's Tony, et cetera. The Asian guy looks at him like he's crazy. So he said...
0: I got to interrupt. I, this, so this is the one question I do have about the book. So yeah. for, for everyone, when the devil appears, it's it's he's obviously you know, kind of shapeshifter, takes different shapes, and then gone without a trace and no one knows. My question with this, in terms of just continuity, is... This is the only time it seems that he replaced someone who actually, ex- like in the other, and I'm not going to spoil it for people, but in the other, all the other cases, it's this person that appears and then it's gone, but you're in a city, so it's whatever. There's 10 million fucking people. Okay. This is right. the only time where he replaces an existing person. So right. That's what I want to ask. you. That's my own OCD is what was, was, was the Asian guy out back? Was he, or is it like a possession thing? Not to put you on the spot, but that's just my own. I, I did make a note of that.
1: Okay. Well, I didn't actually didn't. Uh, I I my. I guess the way that I envisioned writing the devil character, was that there was nothing that was out of bounds. Mm-hmm. He could replace someone okay. who actually exists, okay, or he could be someone who doesn't exist and, and... shows up in a particular place. That's that's how I vision envisioned it, and gotcha. okay. that's right. why. In this situation, when Michael goes to, to meet or to interview the guy at the at the deli counter, and, yeah, yeah, and the real yeah, yeah. owner, Mr. Lee, says, there, "There's nobody like that who yeah. works here. Me or my son work on this." Gotcha. And yeah. and, he, and Michael at this point has no clue. At keep in mind, uh, guys this is before michael is is as um in the dark so to speak about the devil at this point in the story as everybody else is and he has no clue he just can't figure out what this means how does how does there one guy there one night and not someone and then someone different the next time so he he basically he he doesn't um he doesn't have any any way of of rationalizing this in his mind he just takes it for what it is i'll skip ahead because so i can't go in detail and i don't want to spoil it yeah, for the news, it. but but michael is in addition to being a prosecutor is also a teacher he's in teachers in law school and um and he's teaching he, he convicts the the mur- for the murder of this young of this young woman and um he's <laughs> he's at school and and even though he believes that being successful in this case will get him back into the good graces of everybody in uh, in his office, because the woman was was written about in the daily newspapers as you know an angel. She was a she helped people. She was a college stu- I mean, a, a graduate student, looking to become a, a, a social worker, and the work that she did. Her father was a, a lovely guy. I mean, it was. It was written and in real life, Giuliani was the mayor at the time and he called her um, called her an angel at her at the at the, the funeral. He said we lost, you know, an angel and that's, that was also fit perfectly into my scenario about, you know, the calling him that etc. So when he convicts when when there's a, a, a result in the book that is favorable, Michael thinks, I'm going to walk back into my office and everybody's going to love me now because I was able to convict the guy who killed the angel, right? Well, it doesn't work out that way, and um, they still think that he's a piece of crap because he convicted this FBI agent, etc. And he goes to school that night to teach the night of the verdict, and um, and his kids in his class are all different. They give him a standing ovation. They know what he did, et cetera. So he's kind of buoyed by it. And when he leaves the school, he's he's met by the dean of the school, and um, and the dean. Talks to him and says that you know she's she's ill and that he's been at that school for so long. She likes him. She knows how hard he works and and how successful he was. And he, she's going to submit his name to the board of trustees as her replacement to become dean of the law school. Michael said, and she says to him, "And I know how those people over in the DA's office are treating you. They are treating you like shit." Yeah, you're doing the right so, thing, butter and yeah. You know you you're doing the right thing. You leave and um and and you'll become dean of the, of the law school he's happy as hell he said this is my way out now i can do this uh, teach i can you know my kids love me people here in the school know that i'm a hard worker mm-hmm. and know that i'm successful I, I this is a great idea great great thing for him so he gets into his, he, he tells her that i'll let me think about it and i'll uh, i'll call you i'll call you in the morning but i'm going to tell you now that unless things change very drastically, I'm going to take this essentially is what he tells. Me. So he's, um, he gets into his car, drives home. And he he gets to his apartment building. And he lives in a section of Brooklyn that the apartments were three or four stories. And they had what we call in Brooklyn stoops, there were a mm-hmm. set of steps down the front of them and, uh, and he he wa- and he's walks up to his building and he sees somebody he recognizes. And it's his old buddy, Sal Romano, who now is a monsignor in the church. Now, he is, the, Sal Romano is the person that the secret agency um, uh, recruited to find the prosecutor in Brooklyn and to become his liaison when they find him. He was the guy that was in the uh, office of, um, of, of uh, exorcisms at one point, that he had done exorcisms, etc. So... Michael walks up to him, but he hadn't seen him in so long because he went off to be a priest and Michael went off to law school and they, they, you know, never the twain shall meet during those years. And he says, Sal, what are you doing here? And Michael, he tells Michael that he wants to speak to him. He's got something very important and asks him to come with him to uh, a meeting. And um, and they go off to a a building in the Red Hook section of Brooklyn. And for you, your listeners and, and viewers who don't know, Red Hook is essentially looks if you look at the map, it does look like a hook that that kind of piece of land that kind of juts out into the East River and and New York Harbor. And it's kind of isolated and it's a very industrial area, although now there are people who live there. There are there are apartment buildings, etc. So it's an area where um you would have the headquarters of a secret organization, away from the uh, the madding crowd and 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 away from you know prying eyes, etc. So that's where this organization's headquarters were. And and Romano is taking Michael to that to a meeting, and Michael has no idea where he's going, why he's going, and um and he introduces him, goes into this this place, into this building, and and I tried to describe it as best I could. Um, as a place that actually I had been in once with an, ind- with an investigator when I was in charge of the Rackets Division. I, I had a case and we were looking for someone and it, and, and it was a um, it, the task force, a, a joint federal state city task force that was a fugitive task force was headquartered in this place. And we were looking for somebody and I forgot who it was. And my one of my investigators said, we're going to meet one of those investigators. we got to go down to Red Hook and, and go meet him. We walk into, I, I walk into this building, Tom. I don't know if I wrote about this in Crooked Brooklyn, but I walk into this building, go up to this floor, whatever it was, fourth floor, fifth floor. And I get off the elevator and I look to my left and look to my right. There is not a door in sight. It's just this long corridor all the way down with, you know, fluorescent lights. And I said, what the hell is this? Where are we going?
0: It's like a scene out of Goodfellas. You're about to walk yeah, into the, the room. Oh, fuck. Yeah, Boom.
1: Yeah, the, invest, the investigator says to me, "There was George. He said, Mike, don't, uh, we're going down this way. I'm walking down the hall. Now I'm, I'm passing, you know, I'm walking down this long corridor. still no door. We get to this particular spot and a, and the wall opens. The door and the wall were flushed. You couldn't tell. Yeah. opens, we go in, and this was their headquarters. So I tried to make it Similar to that in the story, although the Romano's office in in my story is kind of in the basement. And it's Mm -hmm. a little it's not like the the former AG's office, because the head of this organization was a former attorney general of the United States. I name him John Caldwell. Yeah. So they go in and talk to Caldwell. And basically the book is set up from that point. Caldwell explains to Michael why he's there, who this organization is what they're after and they say we um, we have been watching you and Michael is now upset quite frankly in the beginning what do you mean you're watching me basically we learned from Monsignor Romano that he was the guy you were the guy he wanted and we needed to see how you operated and by the way the case that you just did with the woman was stabbed by the guy who wasn't there (laughs) that was the devil that was Satan. He was behind it. that guy at the deli. That was your adversary. Now that guy was, you know, he he disappears because he that's the way he does it. He kind of instigates and, and drops into people's minds what they should do. And he instigated the the killing of this woman by the junkie um, because she was what she was. She was this wonderful, angelic like uh, a social worker who everybody loved. All of her family loved her. Her, fr- her friends loved her, and um, and it was a perfect person for the devil to to eliminate because of the turmoil and the upset and the and and the the you know the the the, the you know the the people in the city becoming frightened. Young women were frightened because it was a a case in which some young girl was walking down the street with no one around and and she's set upon and is, and the next thing she knows, she's dead. And that set off a lot of, uh, made a lot of, a lot of women nervous. That was the kind of thing that the devil wanted to do. He wanted to create this stuff and she was the perfect target for him. Michael is now in the book is like, wow. You say, do you want the job? (laughs) And he, i think i write that he's not so certain immediately he's got two kids he's divorced he's got his father he's got to take care of but then he says to himself if my dad learned that i had this opportunity to, yeah. to take yeah. on the great evil and i didn't do it
0: and, and your dad being a guy in the book that goes to mass every sunday correct and correct I, and he I, would i laughed out loud i think you know my, my dad would be disappointed and my kids would think i'm a pussy yeah, I've, I I actually laughed out loud.
1: <laughs> I was like, no. "That's exactly what I wrote." <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, so he says, um, you know, I'll take it. But then he then he but the, but then he he still has to deal with something. And he says to to Ramon, uh to uh, Caldwell, "But what do you mean you watched me?" And Caldwell has to admit, he said, "Look, you know, we had to figure out whether or not you were the person for this." And and Romano later on tells him. When he questions it again, Romano says, "Look, Mike, you're not from D.C. You're up here. These guys are D.C. regulars. You convicted one of their own. They you needed to be not 100 percent. You needed to be 110 yeah. percent. you know, yeah. uh, right before they would have accepted you for this particular job. And you passed it. You passed the, um, you know, you passed with flying colors. One of the most one of the things that they liked." And I remember this from when I did it because I was uncertain as to whether I should. I knew I wanted to, but I was uncertain as to whether or not I could get away with it in a courtroom. When I did this trial, was um, I had a picture of the the victim. Her name was Amy Watkins, and it was a lovely picture of her. She was in the smiling, vivacious. I mean, just a, she was just such a, a good woman and 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 just very happy in this picture. And then I had another picture of her in the morgue on the slab in the morgue with this huge hole in the back of her, in her back where the knife had been driven through. And what I said at the trial was that the defendant should be convicted. I said it to the jury should be convicted because he turned this. And I held Mm -hmm. up the picture of her smiling into this, which was the the lab, uh, the her sitting, her laying on the slab in the, in the morgue. I got away with it judge didn't shoot me down didn't shut me down didn't do anything and i said this is great and and it was i thought it was it was it was the kind of moment that i needed to to pull in order to to get this this case done because there was some issues with it remember no witnesses okay we this guy confessed but he later took back the confession so i had to convince the jury that the confession was the truth and that his testimony on the witness stand in which he said, you know, we forced them into it, all the rest of the crap was not true. And I did. So apparently, so what I wrote in the book was that uh, was Romano saying to the Michael Gioca character, they were particularly uh, impressed by what they called the courtroom drama theater, uh, which is the whole thing with the photographs. So he Obviously Michael accepts the position. And um and and I and I, I'm gonna tell your readers this, but I, I want to to say if you don't want to hear this, then you wanna be surprised, then cover your ears for a moment. But I think you should I think I wanna talk about it. So he accepts the position. And then he says, Oh man, I just told the dean few hours ago that I would I would accept the position as Dean of the law school so I've got to call her up and tell her that I that I I, I can't take it so he does and she he gets on the phone and she says are you okay he goes yeah why wouldn't I think she says well first of all it's 11 o'clock at night I was just about to go to sleep yeah you don't usually call me at this point what's going on and he says well I want to know how are you how are you? You know, I know you're sick and yet, uh, you, it's pretty serious and I don't want to upset you, but I got to tell you something. She says, what are you talking about? I'm not sick. I, I'm not leaving my position at the at the law school. I, I'm fine. He then says, oh, OK, you know, I guess you know, essentially my bad. I I, I just I, I don't know what came over, but he hangs up. Yeah. Romano tells him, Las starts to chuckle. When he hears it, he heard what she said. Well, and he said, "Michael."
0: She also goes she also says on the phone, "I never spoke to you."
1: Yeah, I never spoke to not, you. Not not just see.
0: that we spoke in this conversation is you, you yeah. took it the wrong way. It's I haven't, I, never, I, haven't yes. I haven't seen you recently.
1: Correct. And Romano says, "Um I know who that was. That wasn't the dean. That was him." And in the book, I always refer to the devil with either him, he, his, and I always make it capital letters and I italicize Mm -hmm. it so that the reader knows what we're talking about. And um, he said what he did was he wanted to humiliate. He knew what we were going to do tonight. And he knew how good he knows how good you are. He doesn't want you as his adversary. So he figures he, he tempted you hoping that you would take it. And then once we came, He also made sure that you were humiliated and perhaps humiliated into the, to the point where you were just going to go into a shell and not necessarily take anything. It didn't work. Right, Michael? And Michael says, no, it didn't. But now he realizes what he's up against and, um, and we're off to the races. He passed the test and, um, and he then quickly thereafter gets his first, his first case and, um, I don't believe Tom, that the one that I, tr- I used as the first case, other than the Amy Watkins case, I wrote about anywhere. And that was the murder of this young police officer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, didn't, who, I uh, didn't recognize it from any. of. No, I talks. didn't.
1: I never wrote that. I, I did. Ha- I do have a short story that I have that I was going to publish, but I held off doing that because I wanted to include it in, in the book. And, um, do we have a little time to to talk about it or do you want to save that for um, you know I we can talk a little bit more about the book in general rather than get into the um, you know the specifics of the, of, I, say of each of the cases. I
0: say save that and we'll divide it up like we did with um with a uh, with a uh, homicide is my business yeah. but no yeah. let's let's still let's still talk for like uh, another 10 minutes or so about it oh, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, what yeah, I, yeah, yeah. what I liked about this is um is it's often the idea of you know, the carrot or the stick, like the threat, you know? And in many ways, you go into it as it, at the very foremost, it's like, well, if you just think about it rationally, it's like, why would the devil give a shit about any of this? You know, if you're the devil, you would just do nine eleven, right? You would just start a war, right? And the idea is that, well, the devil's been here for eternity. He's done it all. He takes great pleasure in perverting, right? It's not as simple enough to just set a bomb off. He wants to turn people against each other, He's got endless, you know, endless desire for it, endless lust for it. So he's never backing down from the fight. This is how he gets off. It's like a sick fuck serial killer. And so that just as, you know, first and foremost is like, why, you know, why wouldn't he just start a nuclear war? And it's, that's too easy. He wants, he wants to, he he likes it. Um, But what I also like about it is if you were in that position, you wouldn't just utilize threats. Right. You wouldn't just think of every possession movie exorcist. It's always, you know, you you see a demon somewhere and it's you jump scare. What I liked about this is it's there are different weapons. It's it's also it's preying on not your fears, but your weaknesses, right? So it's like you do the right thing, you know you did the right thing, you're getting blacklisted by all your coworkers, but your dad's proud of you, your sons are proud of you. You go and then the students are clapping for you and you're like, I know I did the right thing, I don't care what anyone else says. And the devil knows that. And so the devil not only plays on with just seduction, here's a here's a, here's a a nice job, here's status, but it's also plays, hey man, you you did the right thing. You between you and I, like you you both know you did the right thing. And you know what? God's rewarding you, kind of. You be the dean, and you're going. I'm the fucking dean. So not only does it sort of play on like the ego, like oh I'm gonna be something better. It's also like hey dude, fuck these people. And that I think is more intricate than just you know you're walking home and your car blows up or something like right before you get oh, yeah, home. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's much more intricate than like you go home yeah. and your house burned down. So
1: the, the old. Yes, I agree. The only time that there were um, first of all, I want to say that you hit it right on the head. What what the three um, st- three stories that come after this one that I just described all have at their at their center is that the devil's instigation was to foment um, uh, chaos, so to speak, and, and the rioting, um, mm-hmm. the, the blaming of uh in the first one where uh the police officer is killed there's still the idea that you know he's he he's a, he's a hero in his in in his neighborhood which is an African American Caribbean American neighborhood and and the people there are saying that um it was the devil puts out word that it was other cops mm. who killed this black cop because he he was in the place the wrong place at the wrong time was writing this very big motorcycle, etc. So that created all kinds of, of foment. The second one is where the cop uh, is drunk and he and he runs over and kills um, a young woman and her kids and some kids, and that also creates um, a a problem with the with the police and there's rioting and demonstration and 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 so what you're saying is that I think that is the he the devil had a long game that it wasn't just. Okay, let's blow up the Twin Towers and then and then it it that event is over. This is the kind of thing that he all of these things were were created and done so that they would the the undercurrent uh the negative undercurrent against either society or police or the courts stayed for as long as uh, as possible. And then when it when it ended because Michael was successful, he does another thing which kind of creates the last thing. The last the last story is he, he attacks this 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 person on the Williamsburg Bridge, this young Jewish woman and foments all of this unrest in the Jewish community he goes after the the, um, you know, the whole religious thing. And, and in book two, I have he, he basically is is out to destroy families in Brooklyn. And each of the crimes is the center of the of the, the person who is who's victimized is the center of a family. And, and that was his point. Kill this person. The family falls apart, and 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 he's more successful if he could get you know this the, the the more families destroyed in Brooklyn. So, you're you you hit it right on the head. It was not it's a it's a long game for the devil. It's not blowing up a car and you know and a guy gets killed and suddenly people say oh you know it's th- that that's horrific and and then tomorrow or the next day well they move on to something else. This is his idea was to to create lasting problems you know things that would last for a long time and ultimately pick away at the you know the fabric of of society in brooklyn and and hopefully then move on to you know to other parts of the of the united states but obviously my book is centered here and and that's what my idea was and and i wanted to use the cases luckily i was able to shape the cases in a way that would tell that story and um And, and, you know, you'll see you wrote he Michael has some some setbacks, you know, in um, in in the book. And um, there are things that and there are some threats also that when the devil, I think, feels that he's he's not getting anywhere by hurting people around him, He goes directly for his um, his he goes directly for his family. So, you know, that's. um, so the idea is that he was looking to um to win in the long run rather than um rather than to just simply as you said blow up a car and you know and hurt it or kill three people and then you know again it's, the way life is in New York two days three days later people forget about it they move on to something else you know yeah, so um, they,
0: they want the more he wants the more Again, it's, it's the mind of like a serial killer. It's not enough that it's, it's why when you, when you hear like the rare cases where a victim escapes a serial killer, you know, like they, they you know, if they're kept captive or something, it's like, they could have killed you. They're there. Well, there's no other way to say it. They're sick fucks. They yeah. want to, they're, pl- it, it, they're playing with their food. They, that's what they get off on. It's too simple to just go kill someone. They want right. something more out of it. Right. It's, it's that's what they go after. And it's even in, you know, kind of biblical terms or like the exorcism of Emily Rose, that movie, which is terrifying. I, I watched that movie by myself in a frat house in 2010 on a pot brownie. I don't know why I did that. Those were the <laughs> dumbest things I've ever done in my life. Everyone was gone for the weekend is some football. I don't know why, I, I still don't know why I did that. But I do remember the scene where like it's the very end and the priest is saying like, like name yourself demons and she's in the farm and all the animals are going crazy. And she finally goes, like, you know, basically names all the different demons that are in her. But it's, yeah. but there's like historical parts. She's like, I am Nero, like the one who burned Rome. You know, like I am, I was in Cain and Abel, you know, like original sin. Like I am right. whatever. I was in this snake and Adam and Eve. And then I was in, and I want to say there's something to do with Nazi Germany. I might be wrong. And then like I am Judas. I am the one that betrayed. And then finally, I am Lucifer in the flesh. But the whole thing is like all these great evils in history. Was I all these temptations of man, and that's what right. the because the devil's around for eternity. It's he doesn't want the simple win, and that's again. I mean, if he wanted to, yeah, he'd set off a nuke, but that's not the same. It's a, well,
1: that's you know, that was a, a lot of that is 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 what I used or had in my head when I was um, when I was you know got the idea first of all, and then when I started to flesh it out and and, and write it, and um, and and it was fortunate that the cases that I had were horrific enough to be able to fit into, um, you know, into my scenario. And, um, you know, the, the the this one with this young woman, um, I'm sure that there are people, I'm sure that the people who are listening have no recollection of this, but it was in New York, it was a big deal. It yeah. was really a big deal because um, they, um, because of, of Giuliani and because of the way that he... He he portrayed her, and the and this the sense was that this was a completely innocent person who was randomly chosen, and that scared a lot of a lot of young women, a lot of young women, and 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 it didn't get solved for an entire year, Tom, an entire year. And um, you know, I remember when we when we they finally made the arrest. And i went to the precinct and i had to um i didn't take the statements from the The guy confessed that i didn't take it because i was trying the case and, and if i took the statement i would have to testify which wouldn't allow me to try it so um the head of the homicide bureau at the time was a buddy of mine he took the statements and we went there and uh, and it worked out perfectly when i tried it and i, I got to tell you this little story in the, the true story when when he confessed It was um, I guess when he made the arrest, it was summertime and we were in this precinct in a very busy section of Brooklyn. And when there was like two windows in the in the room where the confession was taken, where they were interviewing this guy, the interrogation room. But they were not windows that that went, you know, double sided windows. They were at the top of the of the of the wall and they opened up kind of swung out, you know, small, small windows, probably about um, maybe about this big. So the, the, conf and it was probably like three o'clock in the afternoon, maybe four o'clock in the afternoon on a beautiful sunny day. It was a summer day. It was, there were a lot of kids out playing on the street, a lot of people. So there was some noise and the confession was solid. It was, he, he told us everything. He was right on the money. He had left New York and had cut his hair because he knew that he, people were looking for him. There might've been, there was a whole host of things that were, that were great in the confession when the confession was played on when i asked the, the prosecutor who took the the confession on the witness stand all about it and then i played it for the jury the videotape <laughs> you could hear in the background yeah yeah, no kids i didn't think anything of it
0: yeah and they yeah
1: the defense attorney made us made his defense was that the pro- police and the DA's office were harming this defendant's young son,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who happened to be there with his mother in the precinct. In the, yeah, and that forced him into test into confession. Yeah, the kid was down the hall or something getting punched. Right, or... and it had nothing to do with the kid. It was the noise on the outside. That that was one of the things that kind of stuck with me. And um, and I think I I you know you read the book a lot more recent than I did. I think I mentioned something about it in the uh in the confession, do I not? About the about the kid and mm-hmm. the noise. Yeah. And and I and I I I write it in such a way, anytime I could I could throw the devil the you know or the or manipulation the or something yeah. into it, it. Yeah. That that I would do that. And that was one of the ways that I did it. So um you know I am I happen to I, I'm very pleased with um you know with the way this thing came out and um and I sent it to I gave the book I told my, my manager who I have, I have a, a guy in Hollywood who has taken my stuff and is, you know, trying to sell it and, and has done some success has success with it. I told him about the book. And he said, get it to me, you know, get it to me as soon as you can. So when I finished it, I sent them um, the digital copy of it. And he read it, he gave it to um, he gave it to a writer who um, who has written for uh, for TV a guy I don't know if you're familiar with the show Mayans and Sons of Anarchy mm-hmm. and, and the sinner which is another thing with uh, Bill Pullman it was a, so he's written for these shows and he's really uh, he, he really is a, a good writer and um, and successful and he comes from Brooklyn so it was perfect my manager said this guy would be perfect if he's interested in this you know we could we, we can sell it The guy Tom I got to tell you the guy loved it loved it so i've optioned it hell so hell. it's now on the on the market and um there's supposed to be a writer's strike in hollywood so this they're kind of holding things back but it's all ready to be taken out into the marketplace to sell and um he has done some things with it that you know for for television he has kind of enhanced the things and and he's made it a little bit more spooky i mm-hmm. might as more like a um you know is a is a a, more of a crime book than a uh, than a spooky book or a, uh, a horror book but he's kind of added a little bit more of the horror aspect to it and it's and it's great so I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that we sell it and um, if we do you know we're looking for um, looking for a couple of seasons hopefully because he's got this whole idea and I won't tell you about it because I, I don't want to jinx myself and that I don't want to say something that might spoil it but um, he's got this great idea as to how to deal with uh, how to how to handle the whole devil concept. And it's, uh, it's terrific. So we'll see. And, um, and and, and I, I, I think that if you do have me back, and I hopefully you will, we can talk about the, um, the next case involving that young police mm. officer who was killed, because there's, there were aspects of that case that still boggle my mind, I still can't believe that uh, what happened happened in terms of the trial and the, and and the way that the jury reacted and things of that nature. But I'll, I'll save it for, uh, for the next time. But, um, well, but go go
0: on. Uh, Uh, I was going to say, well, um, no, we'll, we'll do it next time. Uh, just like we did with, uh, um, uh, homicide is my business. And, uh, the link to the book is in the description as well as, uh, the other ones crooked Brooklyn homicide is my business. Um, but yeah, no, I, 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 I genuinely like it. It's, and Thank you Always, Thank as, you. as always full disclosure everyone I don't get a penny from Mike I don't owe Mike shit Mike doesn't owe me shit I have him on because I like the books And I, I push a book if I genuinely like it It's a good read And it's uh, I, I think it's applicable to It helps For me It, it, it also kind of helps look at the world Certain ways Where it's Is it evil? Is it just assholes? But If you can define an evil You can also define a good and it makes you feel like you're not. If you're doing the right thing, you're not just doing the right thing for no purpose. You can go, I, "I'm doing the right thing," and someone wants me to not do that. That's how I often try to like.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I got to tell you something on that. In yeah. that vein, there was a, um, a a woman who was a who's a court reporter, and uh, you know the stenographer in the court mm-hmm. who who I who I, I knew. You know, I knew when I was working and I didn't know her. I mean, she wasn't a friend or anything. I just knew who she was. So she picked up the book. First of all, she read Homicide is My Business and loved it. And when this one came out, she um, she sent me a, uh, a a review, what I'll call a review, that she posted online. Apparently, um, her son, who was, she wasn't married. She has this kid who was a... I think a teenager, maybe a little bit, little older, passed away, and she told me in this review that she hadn't read anything. I think she read this before she read Homicide: by Business. Now, that I think about it; she said she hadn't read anything. She hadn't had the desire. She was always a reader. She hadn't had anything because she was basically so uh, adversely affected by this death of her son that she just, you know, kind of went into a show. Yeah. She found out about the book. She picked it up, and she said she couldn't put it down. She said it essentially got me back into life again. Reading this thing, and she thanked me in this in this little review for providing this diversion and, and this way of kind of getting her out of the the headspace that she was in when, as a result of her. Mm-hmm. Herself, I have used it. I, you know, I was, I'm trying to sell the book. So I have posted it and, um, and the reaction that I've gotten from, from this little review, it's like five lines, Tom was, um, was, was, is terrific. So, uh, and I've gotten also good reviews from other people who are not friends of mine, who I don't know, who send me stuff online, you know, and say, it's terrific. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, as you said, I loved it. I loved it from beginning to end and, um, I, I can't tell you how much, how much that means to me when people tell me that, because I'm, you know, when you write and you do these things, you say to yourself, ah, I don't know, is this good enough? Is yeah. that, you know, I, I always, there's always self doubt, particularly, um, with writers. And, um, so it's very important to, um, you know, to have people tell you what they think about it, even if it's a bad thing, because even if the, le- the review, it it's
0: a response, you know,
1: of improving, you know, you know, yeah. okay, I won't do this this way again, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. um, so I hope that you're, and by the way, one other thing, in fact, when I get off the phone, I have to reach out to the publisher. I have to ask her, this is supposed to become an audio book. And, uh, in addition to Kindle and the, um, or the digital book, as well as the paper, um, paper copy, they want me to do the reading to be the, uh, you know, time.
0: To, uh, about time.
1: Yeah. So I think I'm going, I, I told her I would do it, her meaning the lady who who owns the publishing company. So, yeah. um, so we'll see maybe by the next time I'll be able to tell you that I'm in the midst of doing it or I'm going to do it. So, um, that, that's it. And I, again, I thank you. I thank you for having me on today. And I thank you for the, for the, the really yes. kind words about the book.
0: Absolutely. No, it was, um, I genuinely enjoyed it, man. It was a, it was a good read and kind of on that you know, note about, you know, obviously, like, you know, I'm very open about everything in my life. Last week sucked. And one of the huge things about kind of depression isn't, it's not what you think it is. And well, at least for me, it's not, it's not overarching sadness. It's it's a flatness. It's not, because sadness is still a feeling. There's still something yeah. there, right? Yeah. You know, after yeah. a breakup, you get hammered, listen to a sad song. There's still something there. Depression's just somebody turns down the color in life and you're just kind of, food everything just tastes like pudding either. exactly so, and uh you know coming out of that in the last week and myself is is you know reading this book helped. now just full disclosure i'm not gonna say this is some fucking snake oil book and it's gonna it's gonna cure your life i don't mean that no, no, but just along no, the no. same lines is like uh it's oh it's always good you know, a lot of, you know, I've done interviews on here that, you know, I get a lot of hate for, and, you know, it does mean something when you'll have on a doctor or, a, you know, someone be like, hey, man, like, you, you did the right thing. It always does, it always does help, and it also helps when, you know, and maybe it's just placebo effect or not, it also helps when you can put a f- face on something. You're like you're not, it's not just that it's difficult. It's like, there is, it's evil. There's like an evil and it does help to sort of, maybe that's just like the, the male in me, but it helps to look at someone and be like, no, fuck that guy. You know, like for me, whenever I was studying in college, I wanted, it wasn't just like, I want to get a better grade. I would always just imagine someone doing much better than me and flaunting it. And it'd be like, fuck that guy. And is that the best mindset? I don't know. Probably not but it helps push me forward. So that's kind of one of the things I got from this. It's not just do the right thing. It's like you look at the devil and you're like, dude, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. It, it's a nerd. Yep. Go give him a wedgie. Fuck that guy. So, um, but on that. And, uh,
1: and that evil can be overcome as well, which is one of the things that that, that Michael does in this book is that, you know, it's it, there's no reason to just throw your hands up and bury your head in the sand and say, I can't live because evil is in this world, there is a way to overcome it. And it's just a matter of finding the way to do it. And, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and the, devil, the devil doesn't just, you know, you could say, oh, I don't want to fight the devil. He's going to kill me. Well, he clearly doesn't. And again, that's too easy. The devil wants to, he wants precisely. your own free will. It wants you to bend. And that's... Precisely. So in that case, you, know, you, you just got to go do the right thing. If he's going to kill you, he's going to kill you. It's, it's the fucking devil. You can't, or whatever. Plant your feet and do the right thing. And that's where the battle
1: is. One of the, criti- not criticisms, but comments that a friend of mine said to me before I began writing was, well, you know, how could you write this? I mean, it's the devil. I mean, how could he, he'll just kill you, you know, not you. I mean, he could just kill, he'll just kill Gioka and just, that'll be the end of it. And And I said, no, he won't. That's not what he, he's here to torment. He's here to to foment, you know, to foment and to make things. It's too easy for him. If he kills him, he wants to win the battle he wants to. He wants to, uh, you know, to to tempt. And then he wants you to succumb to the temptation. And that is the win that he has killing killing is simple, as you just said. So that was also part of it. And uh, and I kept it in mind as I was writing this what this guy said to me, you know, um, and, and, and I, you know, I can't, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought about it and I said, well, you know, somebody going to buy this premise that this guy would be fighting and doing. It. And I, and I thought to my, more, I thought to myself about it more, I said, yeah, I said, because if he could do that, well, then the world would be wiped out already,
0: just right?
1: The world would... would be wiped out, you know? So it's anyway, that was, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. That was one of the criticisms or comments that, as i said before helps a writer you move you take it and then you deal with it and and i was um, i i was happy that he did it obviously you know, or said that to me because it did help me so, yeah
0: it kind of makes um, me think of we'll wrap up on this note, but it does it makes me think of being in a fraternity and you're hazing pledges the pledges think that you're going to cut them which means you're you're fucking out of here but in the, the the reality the secret is is like a, a pledge has to do something pretty egregious i mean they have to like literally absolutely break a law or like you know do do a crime and you're like okay well now it's a liability but the thing yep. is, is no you don't you don't ever want to cut a pledge you want to make them quit and yeah. that's the whole thing is it's self and no one told you to leave there's the front door that's and it. that is that's like the sick pleasure of when you're like yep. hazing the pledges you're like let's fucking break them and then the upside is is the ones that survive it's like those are the ones that are worthy and it's yeah it's the whole thing but um Mike, let's wrap this one up. The link to the uh, book is in the description, and um, we'll definitely do a part two and part, probably have to do several parts for this and not have to get to. And, um, Good. Yeah, man. Thank look, you very much. Looking Tom. forward to book two, dude. Okay. It's going right.
1: to be... Um, in fact, as soon as I get off the phone, I'm calling my publisher because I see she just called me, so Hell I yeah. want to let her know that it's on its way. So, Hell yeah. Um, I'm hoping... We're hoping that it'll be out for Tree, for you know, for the summer so that Beautiful. people can... Take it because I think it's a perfect kind of book to take to the beach. Yeah, you know, think about uh, You can devil. lose yourself in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: All so. right, Mike. All right, Tom. let's wrap this one up. Um, I'll I'll text you, you after the. Other, I have a couple more podcasts. I'll text you after that. We'll schedule another one. And um, yeah, guys, go grab the book. Till next time, Mike. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Recording stop. Thank you for watching, everybody. Take care. Peace.